0: you a little bit of fodder this morning. Let you catch up to that joke. I'm not sure if Zach announced it or not. Did you announce about that time travelers meeting? Did you forget about it? The Association of Time Travelers will meet last Friday at 6 p.m. So if you're a time traveler, make sure you go back in time and meet with them. This morning I thought because uh, because it is Father's Day, I would tell you a fun story. And since we have Methodist brothers and sisters here this morning. I will tell you a fun story about my dad and Methodists. So be ready for it. Here we go. Several years ago, my sister was playing a piano for the Methodist church in my hometown. And my dad thought it would be appropriate for him to go and support her. So he walked next door. The Baptist church and the Methodist church buildings are next door to each other in my hometown. And it's fun, the little rival there, who has the loudest church chimes, uh, whose uh, steeple has been struck with by lightning more times than the other, who gets out first, whose preacher preaches longer, all those. I mean, you know the jokes. You know, you know the jokes. At the Methodist Church in my hometown, uh, they have a sign-in sheet. So when you come, uh, you sign in, proving that you were there. And so my dad thought it would be funny to write Rex the Baptist as he signed in. And so, uh, but he forgot all about that. The uh, that the local radio station, who's owned by one of the Methodist members, uh, reads that list on Monday mornings. Hey, who here's who was at church on Monday morning? And so, uh, all across my county, uh, my hometown county or whatever, uh, Rex the Baptist attended uh, the Methodist church that morning, and it was it was hilarious. Uh, you know, uh, one more story about my dad. Um, for years, my dad had a full-grown man beard for the longest time. And, uh, and have you ever been around somebody that, that you only know them by their beard? You know what I'm talking about. You know people who just have magnificent beards, and you only know them by their beard. Well, my, my family uh, attended a, a family church camp together, and one year uh, my, my sister and I decided to ride with my grandparents to the camp. And maybe you've been in a similar scenario as we, as we arrive in Colorado at the camp uh, we are greeted by the rest of our family. We were the last ones to arrive, and uh, and I asked my mom after greeting everyone, "Hey, where's Dad?" And she's like, "Well, he's standing right there. Well, He had shaved, and so you could not you could not recognize him at all. His full-grown man beard was completely gone, and uh, he was he was unrecognizable. You could not recognize him. No, that's that's not my dad. My sister begins to cry. She's younger, and she's more of a baby a baby than I am. And so she begins to cry. We're like that's that's not mine. That's not my dad. Since that time, he's decided to, uh, to not, not grow all of his beard back. He's shaved his, his cheeks here to match his head. And so because of that, we can still recognize him. But if he's ever to shave off all of his, all of his hair, uh, could we really be able to, to recognize him? This morning, we're going to talk about what defines you. How do people recognize you as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus? When you make, begin making changes... Uh, you begin seeing when Christ is setting you apart, making you this holy person that he desires for you to be, these recognizable changes begin happening in you. And for some of us, people will begin to say, I don't even know who you are. I don't even recognize you anymore because you're defined by something, by something different. Christ lets it, lets it be known that his priority for his disciples is that they would be recognized by a love for one another. Turn to First John chapter three. As you're turning to First John chapter three, we're going to start in verse 11 together, and continue on with this uh, little series called Four, where we're talking about these four, uh, dis- uh, these four labels or marks, these four descriptions of what a follower of Jesus looks like. There are many that we could describe, but uh, we've kind of narrowed it down to four to make it simpler for our uh, simple minds, make it simple for us. We talked about the first week, faithful proclamation of Christ and his teaching, making a, a priority that if you're a disciple of Christ, that you are faithful to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And his teachings. It goes right along with the Great Commission. Go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey these things that I have commanded. And the last week we talked about obedience. Obedience through abiding in Christ. Obediently abiding in Christ. We recognize that you cannot, what Christ says, is you cannot do anything apart from him. So only when we're abiding in him will we be able to produce the fruit as disciples that he has asked us or he desires for us to Produce, And then this morning, we're going to talk about unity through love. Two words that are often heard in church world, unity and love. But how often do we fight against those two very things? Let me pray for us, and then we'll read these verses together. Lord, help us this morning to respond to your word, knowing that it is your word revealed to us and as we study them, God, maybe we respond in a way that brings you the glory and the honor. Not for show, not to prove our righteousness, but instead because we see how worthy you are and how worthy you are of us uniting together in love. Lord, thank you so much for giving us the greatest example of what love looks like and help us to model that to one another and to the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Think for a moment before we read this First John chapter 3. Think for a moment of the one food, or maybe there's many, but the one food that you particularly, and I'm going to use the word hate this morning, that you particularly hate the most the one item or the one food that when, when it's served on a plate or when you're ordering you think hey i i really want that hamburger but i don't want the tomatoes on it because if i eat the tomato then my life will be ruined forever so think real quick what that food is what is that what is that particular food that if you're going to put it if you put it in your mouth without making a whole drama scene here it may make you throw up because of how disgusting that food is now think of that, now you have it in your mind, right? Now here's what I want you to do, just turn to your neighbor that you're sitting by and just say, whatever that food is, and I'm going to tell you mine's tomatoes, okay, I'm going to say, and I want you to say this, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to say "Teresa, Reese, I love tomatoes, all right? So whatever that food is that you hate, you, you hate so much, it disgusts you, turn to your neighbor and say, I love whatever that food is. Ready? One, two, three, go. <laughs> Okay, now you're learning things about each other. Uh, when Mandy and I first married, uh, you know I love to fish, right? So when we first married, we were eating a, at a restaurant together, and we sat down and I ordered fried catfish, and Mandy said, I didn't know you liked fish. What do you mean you didn't know I liked fish? <laughs> do you even know my name? Are we even actually married? Because we now you just learned some things about, about your neighbor there, something that you didn't know probably. How easy was it for you to say that, though? How easy was it for you to say, I love something that you actually hate? You see, it's easy for us to say those words. It's easy for us to say those words. I love whatever it is, but it's even more difficult for us to actually put it into action. And Christ has called us as followers of Him, if you so are. He's called us to put love into action. Here's what this says first John chapter three, verse eleven, going through verse twenty four. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Remember last week we talked about abiding in Christ, abiding in life. If you're not loving, you're abiding in death, a former life. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. I'm abiding in life. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in, our, in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. just as he has commanded. And whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So clearly Christ in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 is asking for unity John, uh, in John chapter 13, he says that we'll know that the world, all people will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. John writes this for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we are to love one another. We're supposed to be united in love for one another. And I keep saying united, and I just want to look at you guys as United Methodist. But we are to be united in love love for one another. So how do we know if we're a follower of Jesus? Well, we know by your faithful proclamation of Christ and His excellencies or Christ and His commandments. We know by the fact that you are obediently abiding in Christ. And we know by your desire to have unity through love. To unite with one another through the love that Christ has for us. I mean, think for a moment. Of all the characteristics that Christ could have taught us to uh, to follow, of all the things that He could have put at the top of the priority list, He said that people will know you, they'll be able to divine or recognize recognize you by your love for one another. There's nothing else. I mean, Christ makes that priority. You will know, People will. all people will know that you are followers of mine by the way that you love one another. I mean, that's the sermon in itself right there. We should stop. Because I think if I, if I go any further, then it will become convicting. At this moment, it's just a nice little sermon. Oh, yeah, we should love one another. But think about, I mean, think about how difficult that actually is. One of the discussion questions for Sunday school next week is, Uh, What are the many things that distract us from unity, that pull us away from from unity that persuade us that unity is not something to be desired or something that shouldn't be happening in church what are some of those things what are some of the things that distract us from loving one another zach mentioned something about stealing seats or stealing pews no one ever steals my pew I dare you come on let's do this steal my pew see what happens i mean there are things that we put in place the things that we that we uh, that we define as if if, if something like this happens Then I will fight against unity. I will fight against, I will fight against love. John chapter 13, I mentioned it to you. Verses 34 and 35 say this. A new commandment I give you. These are the words of Jesus. That you love one another just as I have loved you. So our example of love for one another comes directly from the one who is love. It comes directly from, from Jesus. That we are to love one another as Christ loves us. I mean, Mandy, can you imagine our marriage, how great our marriage would be if I, if I actually loved her as Christ loves the church, laying down his life for his bride. Mandy would say, amen, praise the Lord. My husband is laying down his life for me. He loves me like Christ loves the church. Husband, can you imagine this morning if you loved your, your wife or your family, your grandkids, whoever it would be, the people that you have influence over, direct influence over, if you love them like Christ loves the church. Wife, can you imagine Your marriage, your relationships, if you love your spouse as Christ loves the church. Church, can you imagine for for a moment how incredible it would be to see unity through love? To see us loving one another as Christ loves us. To see us loving one another as Christ loves us. To see us loving our neighbor as Christ loves us. To see us loving ourselves as Christ loves us. To see us loving the world as Christ loves us. And to see us loving God as he loves us. We put those things into action. I'll just give you five love love languages we're going to talk about in just a second. You think back to the Old Testament. We mentioned this two weeks ago, but you think about how they defined themselves, how they clarified to the world that they were a people belonging to God. How did they recognize those things? They recognized them through their language. They spoke a different language from the rest of the world. They spoke Hebrew, and in, in speaking Hebrew, it defined or you were able to recognize their, who they were—the people belonging to God—because of their, because of their language, their hairstyle, uh, their, their skin color, their, their temple, the place they met, who they followed, who their leader was, uh, what Yahweh was doing in the midst of the desert. All these things were, were defining them as a people belonging to, to God. Galatians five. Verse 6 says this, Paul's writing to the church in Galatia, to, the, to the, the Galatians, and he writes about, some were confused about circumcision and uncircumcision, and he says this, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, a, a thing that, that we use to clarify or identify who we belong to, counts for anything. He says these things count for nothing, but only faith working through love. I mean, when Christ says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, that the world, all people will know you through your love for one another, that you're modeling that it's reflective of my love for you. This is what defines you. This is how people recognize you as people belonging to me. We try and make it greater. Uh, it's by the shirts we wear, or it's by the hairstyle, or it's by the place that we meet at, or it's by the language that we use. We try and go back, like we talked about two weeks ago, back to this old covenant way. We're going to define ourselves by these standards. Think about the numbers of laws, that uh, the Levitical laws. And then on top of that, the laws that the Pharisees made, even more than that, thousands more than that, that they're trying to put in place to, to define you as a, a person belonging to to God, and then Christ comes in and says, "Let, let me, let me, let's let you know that at the top of your priority list, the top of your priority list, the thing that's going to define you or that people can recognize you by as a follower of mine is your love for one another." I mean, it is difficult for us in our world today, especially in, in a southern, in, a, in a, a Bible belt type of world where Christian Christendom seems like it's still, uh, even though we're wavering back and forth, still seems like it's raining at some points. It is often difficult to recognize church people outside of their church clothes. They shave their beard off during the week, and you're like, I don't even recognize you anymore. We try to define those things by our church attendance. Uh, I have an uncle who has every Sunday school pin for all his perfect attendance ever, and none of those pins truly define who he is in Christ. His love for one another should be what's defining him in Christ. I mean, that's, that's the call. It's the mission. It's the, it's what Christ is wanting us to define ourselves by is our love for one another. So you think about what Bob, here's a quote from Bob Goff. He says this, what distracts us will eventually define us. And we joked last Sunday night and said, uh, uh, here in our uh, in our little congregation, our building is becoming uh, to define us. Uh, the amount of air conditioners that are breaking, the amount of projectors that are breaking, the amount of light bulbs that are out, the amount of carpet that's torn up, the pews that aren't, that aren't uh, stable anymore because they've been overused, these things begin to define us. They're distracting us from the main cause. They're distracting us from the Great Commission. They're distracting us from worship of Christ. They're distracting us and my hope is that they will not define us, but eventually, if we continue to be distracted by them, we probably will be defined by it. But if we allow Christ to be our focal point, if we allow Christ and his love to be our example of what we're living by, we allow that to distract us, if you will, Hopefully, Christ will begin to define us of who we are and and what He's done or is doing in our life. What is it? I mean, what is it that's that's defining the church today or you as an individual today? How do you recognize that you are a follower of Jesus? If I was to tell you, write it down real quick. uh, Write down the things that uh, that prove that you are a follower of Jesus. You probably would say some things that I would say in fifth grade: my Bible reading, my church attendance my RA attendance, uh, my camp attendance, uh, the fact that I haven't missed church on Sunday morning or Sunday night ever and up to fifth grade because my parents uh, you know, drug me to church or whatever. I mean, all these things begin to define. And then you read the Scripture, you read what Christ is doing, He's like, I- I'm not wanting you to define yourself by those things, by words of the law, if you will, but instead I want you to be defined by what I've done, what I'm doing, what I'm going to do. I want you to be defined by love, one another love that models me verse 35 goes on to say in john chapter 13 by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another i mean i don't want you to feel like i'm making fun of you for a second here but we're not needing to put on name tags to define that we are a follower of jesus we don't need tracts. we don't need uh special handouts to define we don't need bumper stickers to define christ didn't add that to verse 35 so you don't add it either Love for one another is what defines you. It's what, how people will recognize you as a follower of Jesus. And I know, I mean, man, it's Father's Day. And some of you are like, oh, here we go again. Preachers talking about love. Every time I go to church, the word love and, and the word give, those four-letter words are always mentioned. You know, uh, Please stop using those four-letter words in church. But this is what defines us. And when our heart grows hardened towards the word love, what Christ has done for us, we begin, we begin getting further and further away from Christ and what defines him. And Christ is defined by love, unconditional, sacrificial love for you and the world. And in that, we model that. We put that into practice. As followers who belong to him, we unite through love. We look for opportunities to show love to the rest of the world. So let's talk about five love languages real quick. You know the book. You've heard it. There's five different love languages. Uh, Maybe you fit into one of those theories, one of those categories, words of affirmation, quality time, uh, receiving gifts, acts of service, and fishing. You guys fit into one of those five categories, right? There's a story in Luke chapter chapter 10. I don't know that you're familiar with it. It's really obscure. I'm going to read it to you. Because I I doubt you've heard it. Luke chapter 10. I'm even having trouble turning there. It's so obscure. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? My assumption is this morning that you're familiar or you have some sort of desire to have eternal life or life eternal. Uh, you're like, uh, like Indiana Jones on the quest for, uh, for the Holy Grail, right? Because you, you are wanting eternal life. And with that, you've showed up this morning to worship the one that you believe can give eternal life. Verse 26 says this. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So here. If you're confused and you need some practicality to how you show unity through love, begin with this. Number one, love God. All right. Uh, this comes from Deuteronomy chapter six. This is the defining moment for the, for the group of Israelites that have been, uh, freed from captivity, have been led out or is, is going through this exodus moment, exiting out of slavery into freedom. Now you're going, to, you're going to be defined by several things, but one of them, maybe the most important, is that you're going to love God with everything that you are. Nothing trumps that. You love God above everything else. So number one, if you need some practicality this morning, if you need something to actually step into or walk through, if you're wanting to show unity through love, priority is this, that you would love God above everything else. God and his son above everything else with everything that you are. Number two is this, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. So you need some practicality. You're going to love God, and then you're going to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, so do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, designed to justify himself to Jesus, he said, who is my neighbor? I mean, Texans, is New Mexico a neighbor? Sure. New Mexico, is Texas a neighbor? Sure. Should we love one another? Should we unite through love and, and love one another? Abs- absolutely. But what about your literal neighbor, the one you live next door to you? Do you know their name? How often do you pray for them? How often do you seek to show uh, service to them? And, uh, MJ, don't don't hold me accountable to this, please. Don't let the world know. MJ li- uh, lives next door to my family, so don't let the world know how terrible of a neighbor I am. Listen. Listen to my words. Don't watch my actions. Okay, that's how it works, all right? <laughs> do you love your little neighbor what about your neighbor at uh, let's say at Bob's in the grocery line or maybe your neighbor next to you at work what about the neighbor uh, that lives uh, and works at uh, one of our lovely eating establishments here in town Uh, what about the neighbors in Hobbs how do we treat how do we treat them Uh, what about the neighbor you're driving next to on the road or, or, Chase, what about the neighbor that's, uh, that's actually an opposing coach? How do you treat one another in that situation? How do we love one another through this? As followers of Jesus, everything on this earth is below who we worship. Everything on this earth is below the one who is above it all, Jesus. And if we start with loving God above everything else, then loving our neighbor begins to be really easy. I mean, we read from First John chapter three. If you if you know someone who is in need and you don't help them, and we talked about last week, on Sunday morning and Sunday night, we we're quick to repave a, a parking lot and see the uh, and justify the actions of that. But if we have a friend, or maybe even an enemy or a neighbor who's in need of the same amount of money, how often we dwell upon that, think through that, try and justify those actions. I mean followers of Jesus will be recognized through their love for one another, through their love of God and through their love of their neighbor. And then also we, we see in this Christ is giving this, this story and he's talking about how we, how we should love ourselves. We, we have a, a true understanding of who we are in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And with that we have a greater understanding of who we are. when we know who we are then we can truly love self like Christ is giving us the example to do denying self not letting the old self rise up but instead saying no this new life that is in Christ that's being crucified that's built upon the foundation of Jesus I can love myself because I know who I am in Christ and with that I can love my neighbor I can love the God who has made me how I am and then we say so love languages are this you love God you love your neighbor you love yourself The other practical moment is that you love one another, that you seek unity in loving one another. We have set it up in our family. It's pretty easy. I know some of you get frustrated with this. Some of my friends get frustrated with this, but it's pretty easy in our house. If if we're going to go out to eat so that we can stay away from silly, foolish arguments, we've narrowed it down to three or so different places, and we give those three options so that we can seek unity in it. And of those three options, maybe one of them's not my favorite, but if it's chosen in unity through love, I say, it's, it's fine, let's go. I love you, you love me, let's go, let's unite in this. We work towards those things together. We are not the same, but we are part of the same body. And with that being said, we unite together through love, showing unity through love. Maybe we don't agree with everything that is said. Maybe we don't agree with the fact that you like tomatoes and I don't. Or maybe that you love, ah, it's hard to even say, but you love the Boston Red Sox and I can't stand them, but still, but still we can work together. We can unite through the love that we have for God, for His Son, through the love that we're shown through God and His Son. Through that foundation, we can work together in unity together. Or remember John 13, 34, and 35, that we are defined by, people recognize us for our love for one another. We love God, we love our neighbor, we love self, we love one another. And then you have the verse memorized. It was one of the first verses you ever memorized. And you know it in King James Version, New King James Version, NIV, you know it in ESV, you know it in the message. For God so loved the world that he gave up his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have life and life eternal. Some of you are saying, he didn't say that correctly. Oh my goodness, he's a a terrible preacher. What's wrong with him? That's what you're fighting. That's what you're fighting against. The fact to quickly identify where you are wrong or I'm wrong. You see, Satan is full of tricks and lies. And I feel like as brothers and sisters in Christ, we often look to how we can trick people, cause them to lie, trip them up, instead of looking to unite through love and saying, maybe I don't agree completely with you, but we're united through Christ's love. And with that, we can be followers of him loving the world as Christ loves the world willing to lay down our lives for one another knowing who we are in Christ that we're identified as someone who's been crucified with him and yet we still live because he's living through us loving our neighbor as we love ourselves and loving God above all above all things i want to read to you from uh, from a book uh, andrew murray wrote I, I read some of this or i read to this uh, to those who were here, uh, like Dub says, the little remnant that was here on Sunday night, uh, last Sunday. This is Andrew Murray. He wrote a book called Abide in Christ, and he says this. But abiding in Jesus, you come into contact with his infinite love. Its fire begins to burn within your heart. You see the beauty of love. You learn to look upon loving and serving and saving your fellow men as the highest privilege a disciple of Jesus can have. Abiding in Christ, your heart learns to feel the wretchedness of the sinner still in darkness and the fearfulness of the dishonor done to your God. With Christ, you begin to bear the burden of souls, the burden of sins, not your own. As you are more closely united to him, somewhat of that passion for souls which urged him to Calvary begins to breathe within you, and you are ready to follow his footsteps, to forsake the heaven of your own happiness and devote your life to win the souls Christ has taught you to love. The very spirit of the vine is love. The spirit of love streams into the branch that abides in him. We are called to love one another. We are called to love God. We're called to, to model this love that he has for us. We're called to unite together in oneness and unity and love so that, so that people can truly recognize who we belong to. Some of you think oh, practically I can just go home and shave and I'll be different. Some of you think oh, if I just put a, a different shirt on, I'll be different. If I just attend enough times, I'll be different. That's not the case. Pharaoh had many opportunity. He saw the power of God and yet his heart grew hard and harder and harder. We're fighting against calloused hearts Lord, soften our hearts. I made a joke this morning. I, I, I really did pray, Lord, break our hearts this morning. And, and it was a projector bulb instead. Lord, come on. I mean, interpret my, ter- my prayers correctly, please, Lord. Let us let our hearts be softened so that we can see genuine, true love. And to end with, if you're confused in any way, let me just read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you're not sure what love looks like, if you're confused by it, let me give you the biblical definition. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Remember last week, just for a moment, apart from me, you can do nothing. We must be abiding in Christ obediently so that we can unite together in love. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Maybe Paul should have wrote, even if I write, I love tomatoes, but I really don't, I have not gained anything. See, here's what love truly is. Biblical love, godly love. Love is patient and kind As I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Lord, help us this week to continue to abide in you. Help us to have a greater understanding of what love truly looks like. God, as we work through, or as Paul says, as we're working out our salvation, where followers of you, many in this room are, disciples of yours, saved by you. Help us to put into action the love that you have shown to us. Lord, help us to be defined by by what you desire for us to be defined by. Help others to recognize the unity that we as a church, as the church globally together that we're united through love particularly the love that you've shown to us you've given to us and help us not to be distracted by the many things in this world as you've modeled to us in your example prayer help us not to be led into temptation but deliver us from evil because we understand that It is your will that needs to be done. So help us to center our lives around Christ and Christ alone. Help us to see that your commandment to us is that we would love one another. And God, in this difficult moment, as we're confronted with love, continue to stir in our hearts the need for repentance, the need for confession, the need for reconciliation with brothers and sisters, maybe even in this room, so that Christ may be exalted. God, thank you for reminding us, for preserving your words so we can see your heart and your desire for us, these outward things that we're trying to use to define us will never truly define us. Only what is happening inside of us, the new life, the new heart. Romans 12:1 and 2 remind us a new mind transformed into what you desire so that we can truly worship you faith working through love is what's defining us Lord help us to be people who belong to you are being transformed by you into your son's likeness and are walking in a manner worthy of that Lord we love you we thank you for the sacrifice for the love for the patience we thank you that in the biblical definition of love from 1 Corinthians 13, we see all your characteristics and attributes, see love summed up in you, and we thank you for that. Help us to respond faithfully to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Time of response this morning. I'll stand down here and greet you if you need or help you if you need. While we use this time just as a time of worship, a response. Christ is speaking to you, or maybe he's not. But Christ, if Christ is speaking to you, it's a time for you to respond uh, to what He's desiring of you, to uh, to uh, the fact that He maybe He He wants to change you. This is a moment where you can put that into action. So let's stand. Let's in in unity. Let's sing together in response of Jesus.